Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 89. Here we are. I <laughs> screamed in the face of the curse last week and we're here. And we're here. We're back, we're you guys. Alive. You guys know that we have this podcast curse where if we talk about a vacation or something we're excited about, then it always falls through mm-hmm. uh, if we talk about it before it happens. Yeah. And so last week I started to talk about our vacation and Sally um, got nervous and I said, mm-hmm. you know what? Fuck this curse. I'm going to scream in its face and tell it that I don't believe in it, and uh-huh. we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And um, we're live. We're live. We both went on vacation. And you know what? I already knew before the curse, before I yelled at the curse, I knew that it was going to rain every day yeah. because that's just life right now. Right. And it did, but we still managed to have a great time. We always found pockets of times when it wasn't raining, and we found things to do, and we had a good time. Yeah, us too. It was rainy and foggy. There was no snow, which I really wanted, but it was like, but it we it was so lovely. It was really nice to be out of the house. We went on a hike. We walked around this little town of Franklin and like oh, yeah, had you beer went to outside. Tennessee. Uh North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina, sorry. Yeah. There's a Franklin in Tennessee too. <laughs> but it yeah, but it was yeah, it was just nice to like be out of the house. And you know, like when you're home, I was like, if we were home for a weekend, it's not like we did anything crazy at this cabin. You know, we we did a puzzle, we played games, we watched TV. We, you know, we we didn't do anything crazy, but if we had been home, we would have been going in like a million different directions of like, we need to clean this. We should be catching up on work. We should be doing other things. And like, there just was none of that. And it felt super calm. Oh, good. We ate like charcuterie all weekend and like didn't cook. We like drank wine. It was great. It was really great. Nice. I would, uh, we had fun, but I wouldn't say ours was calm. Well, because Zach did have to work. So Zach was working. Right. I had to work. And the kids had school remotely yeah. for a couple of days. And then, you know, how they always say about moms, like vacations is just taking all of your um, household chores and moving it to a different location. Right. So there was that. <laughs> and then, but my uh, pod friends came, our pod, the two other families that we've been potting with this whole time, they came and we had a great time. We have two dogs and then they have dogs. And so we just, it was like a, a puppy and they're all puppies. So yeah, it was a big puppy fast. <laughs> it was adorable chaos. <laughs> adorable chaos. I will say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we had a good time, and the kids all had fun. And yeah, yeah so we survived we did. the we curse. Ate a lot of voodoo chips. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever had voodoo chips, but uh, Jen and Zach introduced us to them. They're the best and chips on. The they planet. are the best. They're so. They're like so tangy and acidic that they just make you want to eat and eat and eat. And like even Max loves them. Like he loves them. Oh, yeah. We turned Max on to the voodoo. And it was was just hilarious because we bought probably four bags of 
voodoo chips. And then when our friends got there, every day was like, sorry, we ate all the voodoo chips. Here's more voodoo chips. And like every day, <laughs> someone would go to the store and buy like four more bags of voodoo chips. <laughs> and they all got eaten because yeah. they're the best. They're the best. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, so I'm, I mean, I feel hopeful now. I feel hopeful because I, here was what I was worried. Not that it was going to rain, but that like, we were going to die. <laughs> no. So there, you know, I think I talked about this before, but there was like a COVID scare at Max's school. And then at our pod family had a COVID scare at their, their one-year-old school. And like, so yeah. I was like, we're going to have to fucking quarantine and we're going to get COVID and we're not going to be able to go on this goddamn weekend. But it was all, it all passed. It all worked out. We got tested. Everybody's fine. (laughs) It's all good. So, um, yeah, I just, that was my, that was my worry was that, oh, fucking COVID, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all around us. What are you going to do? It's all around us. What are you going to do? Get a vaccine or something? What are you going to (laughs) do? What are you going to do? Quarantine? Stay safe? What are you going to do? I've been doing that. Follow the rules for a normal person? What are you going to (laughs) do? Ay, ay, ay. Oh, man. Um, so, quickies? Yeah, I guess quickies. Okay. Quickies. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. All right. So, I got my quickie from an article in metro.co.uk by Allison Lynch. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so you know that we have done a lot of stories about people marrying random objects. Yes. Like there was I the love woman a good marrying a random object. Yeah, story. there there was a woman who married her duvet. We liked that one. Mm-hmm. Then there was the woman that married her airplane, and that was the one that made us very uncomfortable because yes. <laughs> she was doing it sincerely. And, uh, and there's a guy that married his cat allegedly for charity. The ghost um, pirate. There was the ghost pirate. The ghost pirate. There have been a lot of people who've married themselves, which we're all for. Mm-hmm. And like, I think through each of these, we've always said, whatever makes people happy, as long as it's not hurting anybody else, like, great, go right. for it. But I don't think that like either you or I have ever actually thought like, oh, that's something I could do. I'm not fully on board with this. Like, I, it's great for them. But it's not something that I could see myself doing. But I think that I have found a story that I think both of us could totally get behind. And if we weren't already married, we might think about doing it ourselves. Because, okay, so did they marry their pillow? Not their pillow, Jen. But in 2015, (laughs) you're getting closer. You're getting closer. You're getting closer. Really. (laughs) <laughs> Not about okay. wine, but what would you – if? okay, I want you to think if you had a night to yourself and you were going to have a bottle of wine and then what would you have to eat with that bottle of wine? Just in like – Pizza or sushi? Yeah, or pizza. It's pizza. pizza. Okay, yep. nice. So a 22-year-old man in the city of Tomsk, which is in south-central Russia, married his pizza. And I mean, who among us has not thought – I love this pizza so much I could marry it. So he said, uh, at some point I realized that half my friends were complaining about their better half while others were complaining about the lack of a better half. He said, love between two humans is a complicated, wild thing. I was grateful that I at least had my love of food. And then it came to me that actually love for food remains stable no matter what. Pizza will not reject you or betray you. And speaking quite frankly and sincerely, I love it. (laughs) I mean, I love pizza too, but... 
Is is it one particular pizza and will it decay and rot? I mean, I believe that he is probably eating that pizza. So he married it and then he ate it? I think he's just like I think he's just married to the idea of pizza. Of pizza, okay. Of pizza in general, like so he he applied for a marriage license, but of course, like the Russian authorities at the registry office turned him down. The church turned him down. So in the end, he actually had the ceremony at one of the city's pizzerias, and <laughs> it was all surrounded the only by like, people that would humor this, <laughs> right? So there were like cooks and the people that worked there of the restaurant uh, made up this fake marriage certificate for him, and they um, they prepared the bride, who appears, appears to be like a thin crust pepperoni and sausage, and then they covered the pizza box with a veil. <laughs> Oh my god! Very funny. So holding was like obviously for fun. Yeah. Um, and the pictures are pretty hilarious, which obviously we'll post. There's one of like the guy and the pizza box is open, and there he has a flute of champagne, and there's one in the pizza box, and it looks like he's like they're cheersing, <laughs> and uh, and there's one of like him and the pizza getting into the a car after the ceremony, and Allison Lynch wrote in Metro. She said details of what happened on their wedding night were not revealed, but we hear the wedding breakfast was amazing. Oh my god! Oh yeah, pizza is <laughs> the best breakfast. Pizza is the best breakfast. Actually, I just saw an article that said that scientists say, um, so you know it's real. Mm-hmm. Scientists say that pizza is a healthier breakfast than most breakfast cereals. Really? Really? Because it has like protein? And you got, you know, your folic acid. You've got mm-hmm. your depending Independ- on yeah. what kind of cheese you use. You've got tomatoes on there. You've got calcium. I'm not good with nutrition. Well, <laughs> it could be a um, whole grain crust. No. No? <laughs> what um, assholes eating the whole grain crust, Jen? I don't know. But <laughs> there's – but I don't know. That's what it says. And it's it's science, so you really can't fight with me on this one. Oh, I'm not fighting with you. I'm I'm very interested. <laughs> I am all ears. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've instinctually known this for years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're just following our instincts. Our bodies were craving pizza in the morning because that's what our bodies needed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and need. Yeah. All day, every day, I think, yeah. is what my body's telling me. Totally. I all love right. that. Yeah. I wonder, like, did they – is it a heart-shaped pizza? It was not a heart-shaped pizza, I but mean, that, they wasted a really good opportunity there. They did. They did. But maybe he was like, I don't want to make this a gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> Our pizza love is the real thing. But I did notice that like in the pictures, you can tell that there are at least – it's like two different pizzas. <laughs> like he's definitely – so I'm like, he's definitely okay. not he's wed married to one, to one pizza. pizza. Just pizza in general. Pizza in general. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, okay. So my quickie this week comes from an article for, um, the Daily Mail, Uh uh, which is one of our favorites. Mm. Okay. So this Valentine's, uh, Ukrainian couple, Alexandra and Victoria decided to take their relationship and their quarantine love to the next level. And what I mean by <laughs> yes, quarantine what? love, mm-hmm. we've, uh, you know, if you're in a relationship 
during the pandemic and the quarantine, you know all about togetherness, (laughs) close quarters, too Mm -hmm. much togetherness, Mm -hmm. not enough space, get out of my face. (laughs) Why are you still breathing? Um, You know, that kind of quarantine Why do you fucking crunch so loud? (laughs) (laughs) Snoring again. (laughs) Every time I'm in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen. Why are you always in the kitchen? <laughs> oh, my that God. kind we, of thing. You've been to my house, right? It's you know, yeah. it's tiny, and also they're like it's fucking, lovely. It's lovely. I it's it's. I'm not complaining. I lived in a small apartment in New York for three years, so uh, I'm happy to have this house, especially in this quarantine. But there are like doorways everywhere, like it's tiny little rooms yeah. and. And I swear to God, I'm like, I'm like, why are you always in the doorway that I want to go through? <laughs> it's just like, I'm just trying to find a place to stand to get out of the way. And I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. It's not our partner's fault no. for living and no. for breathing. <laughs> it's just a lot of togetherness. A lot so of togetherness. I cannot understand why this couple would want to go for a, well, I guess they were trying to break a world record um, or they are trying to break a world record on this Valentine's day. There's a sculpture. It's, it's like a, of a man and a woman. It's called the unity sculpture and Kiv uh-huh. um, in the Ukraine. And they went, to the sculpture and took pictures. They want to become a couple chained together for the longest time Mm -hmm. that a couple is chained together. So they are handcuffed together. Mm -hmm. The record that they have to beat is three months. What? Being just centimeters apart from each other and locked at the wrist. No, it's actually, it's not a handcuff. It's actual chains. I'm sorry. They okay. chain. So all of the links are actually welded to each other. So they they were chained. They had a chain around their um, wrist and then they had one last link and then they had somebody weld it. The final link is closed with the seal of the National Register of Records. Uh-huh. So, and then after they were together, they had a 325 mile drive back home in a taxi whenever they had to stop for a toilet break. Yeah. Um, they apparently decided to use the women's rooms because they said that they thought that they would be cleaner because yeah. They yeah. probably would be. They're definitely um, cleaner. So they've had to do uh, – so, so far they've been chained together and they've had to figure out on their Instagram, they're updating everybody with what they're doing and it's sh- showing footage of them like taking turns going to the bathroom or taking a shower, putting clothes in the washing machine, just – Every day-to-day thing, but being actually chained to another person. So basically just day-to-day activities, just a little bit closer and without the use of one of your hands, which sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. I... The whole thing sounds like a nightmare. Like, what do they get for breaking this record? I mean, I guess they probably are getting an Instagram following, but like, oh my God, fucking Probably the demise of their relationship. Yeah. Um... (laughs) Or maybe it'll bring them closer together. Who knows? But I am very claustrophobic, and the idea of being chained to anything would make me lose my fucking mind, let alone being chained to another person. I Yeah, I can't imagine. Think back to when your kids were babies. You when were they kind would, of chained to yes, them. Yes, and like yeah. they would finally go to sleep, and you'd be like, oh, my God, 
nobody can touch me. Like I'm so yeah. I'm so tired of somebody else touching me or being yeah. that close to me. I need to be like completely alone. And that's your child. Dude, we were talking about this the other day. You've seen the Britney Spears free Britney documentary thing that everybody's talking about. I have not seen it, but I'm oh. well you that. are familiar with when yes. she shaved her head and everybody thought that she was crazy for shaving right. her head. But I even back in the day when that happened and everybody was like, Whoa, she went nuts. I was like, I totally get it. I totally get why she would do that. It's because she has people pulling on her hair and her extensions and mm-hmm. fucking with her her face and her body and touching her twenty like so many hours a day. Like I don't even like to get my hair done because I don't like being stuck in a seat. Yeah. Um, But can you imagine if you had these big crazy hair extensions and you had to get your hair and makeup done every single day? I would lose my mind and I would shave my head too. Yeah. No, that's 100%. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that's my quickie and a Godspeed to these two, uh, to Alexander and Victoria. Yeah. Um, good, good luck, luck to kids. you. I hope you, I hope you <laughs> succeed. I, I guess. I guess I hope you succeed. But <laughs> I mean, if it's what you want to do, then go for it. Yeah. Sounds if like a If it makes nightmare. you happy, it can't be that bad. <laughs> if it makes you grow. happy. <laughs> Why the hell are you so sad? That's my Cheryl Crow impression. Spot on. <laughs> Spot fucking on. All right. Um. All right. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. I've got a wild story this week. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. It's been two weeks and I haven't heard anything from you. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. It's been like (laughs) seven days. Um, Uh, Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. All right. I got my information from an article in the newsobserver.com by Jesse James DeCanto from WRAL.com by Aaron Hartness, a series of articles on ABCLocal.com. Heavy.com by Beth Hine, and of course, Dateline, the best nice. ever. I love Dateline. Me too. Okay, so at 10 a.m. on January 4th, 2007, Corey Smith was coming out of his apartment to go to work when he saw somebody's belongings scattered down the staircase at his apartment. He lived at Campus Crossing Apartments, which is like an off-campus apartment complex that's mostly occupied by students at North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And at first... He thought maybe somebody didn't make it up the stairs or like just he wasn't sure what it was, but he walked down the bottom of the stairs and there he discovered a body. Oh, my God. And he checked to see if the person was breathing and they weren't. And so he called 911 on his cell phone and the 911 operator told him to check the purse for identification. And in the purse, he found an ID and it was the it was the ID of Danita Smith, who was also a resident of Campus Crossings. Mm. Danita Smith was one of those rare people that knew exactly what she wanted to be from a young age and then did everything she could to pursue that goal. Her mother said that growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, that Danita had always wanted to be a photojournalist. And so she got her undergrad degree in English. And at 25, she was on track to get her master's at North Carolina Central University um, in the spring of 2007. After which she planned to apply for PhD programs. She wrote and she took photos for the student newspaper, and she had even recently received a fellowship to a New York Times program. Wow. 
And her her final story before she died was about race and home ownership, and it was actually still on the campus newspaper racks when she died. I mean, her thesis was also going to be about black male identity, and her English professor said she saw an urgency about the conditions that young black males have to deal with. She was not interested in doing a thesis that was just analysis that had to have she wanted it to have a wider significance. The newspaper's faculty advisor said that Danita was like, she wasn't the kind of person that was super talkative. She was just very calm. And they said, that's a great, he said, that's a great quality in a newsroom where people get really fired up. She also worked as a writing tutor at the university. And she was known for spending two hours with a student when they had only scheduled 30 minutes. And the center's writing director said that we'd have to tell her, okay, stop. It's okay. <laughs> like you they, they, they can go on and do it themselves. But she was just very invested. She was, she was obviously by all accounts, she was very focused, wonderful person. She had recently gotten engaged. She'd been with her fiance, Jameer Stroud, since they had met in undergrad. And then while she had gone on to grad school, Jameer had moved to Greensboro to become a police officer. And Danita's mom and her best friend both loved Jameer. Her mom had said that she was prepared not to like him just because she was like, I know how special Danita is, but the person she's going to be with has to be as special. Yeah. Yeah, So she said, but from the beginning, she found Jameer to be polite (laughs) and respectful and supportive of Danita. So when the people who were closest to her, her best friend, her fiance, and her mother were first called to the scene, they were told by police that this looked like a terrible accident. Like Danita had fallen down the stairs. Her mom had to drive two hours from Charlotte to get to Durham and Jameer was driving from Greensboro, which is like a 50 minute drive. And so when they arrived, they were under the impression that Danita might still be alive because it was described as an accident. But when they got there, they were given the absolute worst news. Not only was the 25 year old beloved grad student dead, but police now realize that it wasn't a fall that killed her. As they moved her body, they realized that Danita had actually been shot in the head at oh close my range. God. Yeah. So soon after they discovered that Danita had been shot, police detectives learned that there had actually been another 911 call that morning from the campus crossing apartments. So at 8, 10 a.m., almost two hours before Danita's body had been discovered, a man named Michael Hedgepath, who was the maintenance director for the apartment apartment complex, had called 911 to report hearing a gunshot fired at the complex. He told police that he had heard a gunshot and then he had seen a tall, pretty young woman running from the back (gasps) to the front of the complex And then he saw that same woman getting into a burgundy SUV in the parking lot. Oh, my God. And he had actually approached this woman and was like, did you hear that gunshot? And the woman was like, yes, that's – I'm so upset. Like, I'm terrified of guns. And she told him that she also lived in the complex. So he was like, okay, go wait in your apartment while I call the police. But when he was on the phone with police, he saw the woman drive off in her SUV. And so the police actually did come to the apartment complex to investigate that 911 call at around 8.30 a.m., but they left without filing a police report because they said they were unable to ascertain the source of the gunshot. So Danita was there. She was dead, but they So they heard a gunshot, but they didn't go, like, look in all of the hallways or... Yeah, apparently, I I don't know... 
I don't know what the like makeup of this apartment complex. I'm guessing it's like pretty big and that from what I read, they were they thought the gunshot had come from another part of the apartment complex. And so they were looking over there. They didn't search the whole complex, which seems crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there were some witnesses that said that they thought it sounded more like like a car backfiring. And so I think they were even just like suspicious that it may, oh, like, may not have been. What was that noise? Yeah. Yeah. So now they have this information and they're like, well, obviously this – now they know it was a gunshot and this was a gunshot that killed Danita. And so they go to Jameer and they're like, do you know anyone who drives a Burgundy SUV? And they said he looked completely shocked. And he tells police that his ex-girlfriend, a woman named Shannon Crawley, <gasps> drove an SUV that matched that description. Oh, my God. So Jameer and Shannon met through work. She was a local 911 dispatcher in in Greensboro, where Jameer was a police officer. And he told police detectives that he had been involved with Shannon, but that their relationship had ended a year earlier. So this is like, mind you, this is this relationship was happening while he was with Danita. And he said that that it all ended a year earlier, but. So he cheated he on He cheated on Danita. Danita with Shannon. With Shannon, yes. Uh, and Jameer's not so great. Jameer's after mm, all. It's not he. so great after all. So uh, apparently the two he said the two had split that Shannon had gotten pregnant and then but then it had an abortion and that the relationship ended after that. So police go to Shannon's work the next day to question her. And she told them the same story that Jameer had told the police, that they had dated, that she'd gotten pregnant, but that the relationship had ended a year earlier. Like, she cited the same date that he did, the same incident. And she said she knew about Danita, but she had never met her. Like, she knew she was the woman on the side, right? And so, but she said she had only ever seen a picture of her once. Police asked her where she was at the time of Danita's murder, and Shannon said she'd been taking one of her kids to the doctor's. And her supervisor confirmed that she one had- One of her kids? Yeah. So she Shannon had at least a couple kids. I'm not exactly sure okay. how many, but not from- Gotcha. Jameer. Um, she was 27. She was a single mom. She was from like all, like from everybody around was like, she's like this hardworking, beautiful, tall. Like it just, she seemed, when police questioned her, she seemed sincere. Like she seemed, they believed her when she said- that she had nothing to do with it. She was like, I was taking my kids to the doctor. The supervisor confirmed that. And she actually told police, she said she had never even been to Durham, so which is where Danita was killed. So police asked her if she had a gun, and she was like, I am completely against guns. I would never allow one in my home. When they interviewed her, she was calm. She was credible. She didn't seem like she was lying. So then as police were leaving – one of Shannon's coworkers got a note to them saying that he had information and he wanted to talk to them in private before they left. Mm-hmm. And so he told police Shannon lately had been complaining that she was getting harassed by an ex and that she was scared of him and she was scared for her children. So she had asked his coworker to get her a gun. And he had. And it was a 38 caliber revolver and that matched the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. So now they go back to Jameer because, of course, he's a suspect. Like, you know, police said that nothing had been taken from Danita's purse, which was laying right at the top of the stairs. Like, it was obvious this was not a robbery, that Danita had been targeted. And they were like, when you look at it from that lens, 
Danita was, there was no one who wanted to kill her except possibly this woman, Shannon, and Jameer, right? Those only people could have had any reason to want her killed. So Jameer's alibi was that he was at home. He was asleep in Greensboro at the time of the murder. Police could verify that he worked a shift with the Greensboro police the night before, and they could see that his phone and his police radio were at his apartment during the time of the murder. But of course, he could have left it there, you know? I mean, so he's a police officer. He knows how that works. So They asked Jameer about Shannon's accusations that she was afraid of him and that he had been stalking her. And he said, oh, no, it was actually the opposite. He said that after the two had broken up, that Shannon had actually been the one stalking him. And they said that she had actually moved to his neighborhood in Greensboro, like in the last few months, just to be closer to him and that she would drive by his house and she would call him constantly and, oh my God. Yeah. So police are thinking that Jameer is not being totally forthcoming with them. Like he would give them information, but like only if he was asked directly, he wasn't offering any details. But still, Jameer was kind of now kept to the side of the investigation and police focused on Shannon because they felt like they had, you know, they had this eyewitness. They now had a gun. They never found a gun, but they had like that this was the same caliber as the bullet was. So they're like, this is this seems more likely. So police discovered that Shannon had clocked in at 10 a.m. to her work two hours after Danita had been killed They got a search warrant of her apartment, and in it they found an outfit that matched the description that the maintenance worker had given for the woman he had seen at the apartment complex. And, like, it was part of her a uniform, and so there was, like, a a patch on it that matched. So it wasn't like, oh, she had a red shirt, and then this woman had a red shirt. It was, like, exactly how he described it. Mm -hmm. Um, They checked her phone records, and they found – and a cell phone tower record showed that she had been in Durham – the day before the murder and that her phone had pinged off of a tower just a quarter mile away from Danita's apartment, which police thought meant that she was scoping out the apartment complex to figure out where to stand to shoot Danita. So they also tested Shannon's car for gunshot residue, especially the steering wheel, and it came back positive for gunshot residue. So Guilty. Yeah, so they get a warrant, and on January 9th, 2007, police arrest Shannon Crawley for the murder of Danita Smith. And when she was arrested, she was at her sister's house, and detectives said that when they got there, she walked calmly out of the house like she was going to get the mail. She didn't see surprise at all to see them, and that she had turned back to her sister and said about her kids, said, raise them like they're your own. Oh, Kind of like That she- kind of like hurts. I I feel so bad for her children. Yes. Well, yeah, Yeah. that is – I mean, that is always where you're like, oh. Um, And But it's like she knew – she wasn't like, I'm innocent. Mm -hmm. I'm – like she knew she wasn't going to be coming back. So – but the thing was is that Shannon was an unlikely suspect. I mean, she was – like I said, she was this hardworking single mother. She was 27. She was – she was the daughter of a former police officer, and she had never been in trouble with the law. So it's not like there was anything in her past that would make them think she is going to murder another woman in cold right. blood. When police questioned her after the arrest, she didn't say she didn't say much except for "I didn't do it." And then she told police, "You should be worried about where Jameer was the morning of the murder." And 
her father actually was worried that this might be a case of police protecting one of their own since Jameer was also a police officer. Right. But Durham police were building a case against Shannon. They found out from Jameer that his relationship with Shannon hadn't been as cut off completely as he initially had told them. So like, that's what I mean by he was like kind of giving them information in like drips and drabs. Like he was maybe trying to like protect his self, you know, protect his reputation, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe like just save her family from knowing about what he was doing. He said that like after they had cut things off, after she had had the abortion the year earlier, that he had gotten back in touch with her to apologize for how things ended. He had like had some kind of counseling and the counselor had encouraged him to apologize to people that he had hurt. So he said he called her, called Shannon, and that they had ended up talking for hours. And that after that, Shannon began calling him and he would answer and he was trying to be there for her. And he said that things hadn't been physical again, but that police thought that like this contact was giving Shannon like a reason to believe that things might continue between right. them, right? Like mm-hmm. it was giving her this line to him and and that he he was trying to play both sides. So mm. as they do. As they do, man. As cheaters do. Yep. So they believed – and I'm sure he felt guilty, right? Because here's a woman who had gotten pregnant. They, It's it's unclear about I – mean, she says that the pregnancy wasn't viable and her family says that Jameer really wanted her to have the baby and – Jameer says that it was Shannon who wanted to – I mean, it doesn't matter why. That's her right Mm -hmm. to do what she wants. But I think that that, I'm sure, created a connection between them and some guilt on Jameer's part. Also, he was cheating with his girlfriend and cut it off with Shannon. So so please believe that Shannon may have – like the last straw may have been because on Christmas Eve – Danita and Jameer had gone to church to get his church together in Greensboro right after they become engaged and that Danita was showing off her ring to people. And supposedly Shannon had been at that service and that she had seen them. And this was likely the first time she would have seen Jameer and Danita together. And like the first time she had heard that the two were engaged. So this was Christmas Eve. And then Danita was killed at the beginning of January. They're building this case against Shannon, and she was actually let out on bail. But then in May 2007, four months after she was arrested, Shannon and her lawyer walk into the Durham Police Department and tell them that she is ready to tell her side of the story. So Shannon says the day before the murder, she and her kids woke up, and she found Jameer in her room. And he told her to be quiet (gasps) and... And she told she told her babysitter to take the kids to take them somewhere safe. And so she said that they talked, she and Jameer talked like all night, that Jameer was calm sometimes, and then he would become angry that Shannon left him. And then at 5 a.m., Shannon says Jameer told her that he was that she was gonna go somewhere with him. She said she had to work, but he said either she would die or her kids would die if she didn't go with them. So she says, yeah. So she says they got into her SUV and drove to Danita's apartment complex. And she said, Jameer got out of the car. He took her keys and her phone and that Shannon waited for a while. And then she heard him fighting with a woman. And she said she didn't hear the argument, but she got out of the car to see if she could hear better. And she was walking towards them when she heard the gunshot 
and then saw Jameer running towards the car and he told her to drive and while he hid in the back seat and she said she like she that was when the maintenance man approached her car but Jameer was hiding in the back seat and then when he the maintenance man walked away Jameer told her to drive off so in the interview police again found Shannon to be calm and credi- credible even though this story sounded kind of phony, right? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it would have to be a lot of coincidences. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, Right. But they were like, this does fit. Like, it does fit all of their evidence as well. So, like, they couldn't exactly count it out. They were like, why did you wait so long to come forward if this was a story you had from the beginning? And she said that she had been scared for her kid's life and for her life because she was afraid that Jameer would hurt her or them. And she said that Jameer had actually started calling her after she had been arrested and threatening her. And so Shannon had actually moved back in with her parents in Charlotte and her parents confirmed that she had been getting phone calls. And they said that she had actually, they had actually been on the line when somebody who she says was Jameer was calling so police were like, all right, we'll record these calls. Like if yeah. he's calling you, like let's let's get him, right? So she did. She got a recorder and there were actually quite a few phone calls. There were actually over 30 minutes of conversation that were put on tape. And the conversations were pretty damning against Jameer. Like the man really? on the the man on the tape is heard <gasps> threatening Shannon, saying if she kept talking to police, he would find her. And Shannon says, what, you'll kill me too? And then the man says, you know I'll do it again. <gasps> yeah. And so Shannon Whoa. says, why are you doing this? You know I didn't do anything. And the man answers, better you than me. You know what they do to a cop in jail. So, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Shannon. I feel like such an asshole. I was totally just ready to be like, guilty, guilty. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't feel bad yet. <laughs> okay. So Shannon turns all this evidence over to police, and police trace the phone calls from a pay phone in Greensboro. And Shannon and her parents thought, okay, this is going to be enough to have the charges against her dropped. But there's just one thing. So the voices on the tape just didn't sound at all like Jameer. Like Jameer <gasps> has a very deep voice. So many twists. So many twists. So many twists. <laughs> And the voice on the tapes was this like higher pitched, like it's a male voice, but it's like, and like, it's just this like higher pitched voice. Like it just doesn't sound like they were like, there's no way this could be Jameer. Like they just were not convinced that Shannon wasn't making this whole thing up. And so then in July of 2007, as her trial is getting closer, Shannon and her parents call the police and they say that she had been out walking her dog and that she had been attacked and raped. And she said that her rapist was Jameer. And when police got there, she was bleeding. She seemed traumatized. And she was taken to the hospital. She was given a rape exam. And so they take Jameer in for questioning. And he's like, I was nowhere near Charlotte at this time. He's like, check my phone, check my work logs. There's no way I could have done this. And so they check his phone logs. And it actually shows he is like on the phone in Greensboro at the time of the alleged rape, they were like, there is no mm-hmm. scenario where he could have driven to Charlotte and done this. Mm-hmm. And so, and then Shannon told the police that Jameer had actually used a knife. And then she kind of suggested to 
police. She was like, you should check Jameer's house for that knife or maybe his garbage can outside. Oh, my God. And so guess right what, police? The newspaper dated <laughs> February 9th. Right. Like, oh, my God. There so might be the, a little uh, mustard on it from the mustard packet. Right. That was in my pocket. <laughs> I had just gone to McDonald's earlier. Yeah. So na- they they found a knife in his garbage can. Oh, my God. But then his neighbors are like, yeah, we saw a person oh, wearing dark God. clothes and a hoodie drive up to Jameer's garbage can, put something in it, and then drive away the night before. Oh, this is a – she's a terrible criminal. A terrible criminal. I take back my apology. I know. Ay, ay, ay. But, like, apparently she was – if you just talked to her, like, police were like, she was convincing. Like mm-hmm. she wasn't – there were no signs uh, that you would normally think where people are lying, where they give answers too quickly or they have anything. Like she would stop and think about it and she was very – like she just was very convincing. But then there were all these like – there was just so much evidence. Like so the rape exam showed no attack – no evidence of attack and there were knife cuts on her body, but they were all superficial. And so police, of course, conclude this was another ploy to tie Jameer to Danita's murder. So – on February 8th, 2010, Shannon's trial began, and the prosecution presented evidence that Shannon had been obsessed with Jameer and that she had been the one to kill Danita. And then the defense maintained that Jameer had been the stalker, like he had been the one who had been calling Danita over and over, and that he had been the real killer. So Jameer testified about the affair. He said that he knew Shannon was stalking him, but he never thought that she'd murdered Danita. But then he said that when police had asked him, like, that first day about the burgundy SUV, he knew it was Shannon. Mm. And so after he testified, the prosecution actually played those phone recordings as evidence. Like, the defense didn't ever play them, but the prosecution played the phone recordings as evidence that Shannon was trying to frame Jameer. And when they played the tapes, like the voices sounded so different that people in the jury actually laughed. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So and the defense was like, well, of course it sounds different. He was disguising his voice. But it was just like you can't disguise your voice to sound like that. Like it just. Right. Right. So Shannon also took the stand. And just like when she talked to police, she seemed sincere. She seemed credible. And she's this very beautiful woman. She looks very poised and put together. And so. The prosecutors were worried. They're like, some juror is going to believe her. You know, some juror Mm. is going to be like, this doesn't seem right. Why would this woman kill this other woman? And they were going to vote not to convict. So they were like less than confident when the case went to the jury. But then on February 23rd, 2010, after seven hours of deliberation, Shannon Crawley was convicted of Danita's murder and sentenced to life in prison. Good. And her family still maintains her innocence. They totally believe her. They 100% are are behind her. And her father said after her conviction, he said, if it's the last thing I ever do, I will prove that he is the one that actually committed the crime. I won't rest and I won't stop until he's where he belongs in jail. See, I think that's just like a parent really, 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 really wanting it to not be true. Yeah. I mean, yes. But it, it's, you know, I think that part of all of what what Shannon was doing was to convince her parents that she wasn't guilty. Yeah, probably. Because she, I mean, 
she, her parents were on those phone calls. Like, so she was, and she ran in, when she said she got raped, she ran into her mom's room crying and being like, I just got attacked. Yeah. So I think that part of it is that she probably was this golden girl and then, and her father was a police detective, you know I mean? So they, they just, I, I think part of it was that, and then they wanted to believe her and they, they're, they really, she really convinced them as well. It sounds like she's just a sociopath. Yeah, and I feel really bad for her parents. And for I feel her parents bad and for her children. Her children, and I feel bad for Danita. Yeah, obviously, in her family and um, engineer. Like it's just yeah. So Danita's mom spoke at the sentencing, and she said, at that time, she said, "Someday I may forgive you, but I don't now. I hope you rot in hell. Wow. You're vile." And actually, on the dateline, she says that she regret saying that and that she now does forgive Shannon. Really? Well, she's very religious and she's like, I have to forgive her if I want God to forgive me for my sins. And so, um, I'm always amazed at people that can do that because I truly like if anybody harmed my children, I would, there's no, I would not rest until they, something very bad happened to them, but I I could not, I, I don't think I could forgive that. But I like I know that people believe different things and, and it takes a really big person to forgive something horrible like that. I know. And there's I mean, on 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 the lines, on on the on the interwebs, there's still I mean, some people think that Jameer had something to do with it. They believe like maybe that Shannon did it, but that Jameer pushed her to it. And I mean, and it, it could be. And then maybe, you know, all the framing stuff mm-hmm. is, you know, she got herself in trouble by trying to frame him. And then that made her look bad. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe. there's no, like the judge noted at trial, he said, Jameer Stroud caused a perfect storm to happen and walked yeah. away from it. And, but it, I should, I do want to say that there was like, no evidence that he was ever connected in any way to the murder. So, yes, he did cheat. He, he did cheat, but he there's no evidence that he did anything that he um, harmed Danita. That he did anything, but he did love her. So, mm-hmm. um, so I just do want to say that he's he's since I think retired from the police force, and um, as far as I can tell, he's like an insurance agent and married and. Um, and actually lives in Georgia now, so. Oh, no. What? I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's no. my insurance agent. <laughs> but, it's, um, yeah, it's an awful story. And I, you know, uh, it's an awful story. It is an awful <laughs> As story. As they always are. Wow. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Lots of twists and turns in that one, though. You took me on a ride. I'll say that. You took me on a ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for a love story? I'm always ready for a love story. Great. My information came from an article for PhiladelphiaCBSLocal.com, mm-hmm. um, an article for WDBJ7.com, and then also a little segment on Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey! God, we haven't talked about Steve Harvey <laughs> in so long. Steve Harvey! <laughs> oh, Steve Harvey! But it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Oh, I'm glad you brought him back. He's back. Um, <laughs> He's back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, still waiting, Steve, uh, for you to have us on your show. What do we got to do? What do we, we got to do? Maybe it's oh. just that it's been COVID. He's probably been wanting to have us on. Look, you can contact us, Steve, at dumblovepod <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> we'll be totally open to receiving your phone calls. Like, <laughs> uh, Just this morning, like right before we started recording, I was watching a clip of Steve Harvey. I feel really? like he's coming back around because yeah. I was watching, I think that D'Angelo, do you ever watch Versus? Do you know what those are? Um, I don't. They're like we're two two artists go ag- two like artists go against each other. It's all on the interwebs. It's very great. Oh, no. It's great. So Mm-mm. anyway, so D'Angelo is doing a versus, and D'Angelo was like my first crush or one of my first crushes. Oh, yeah. And so anyway, there was a they were showing a clip of Steve Harvey. It was like thirty years ago or something, like introducing D'Angelo to sing his song Brown Sugar, and so it made me think of Steve Harvey. But he looks exactly the same as he did. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. age. He doesn't age. Anyway, so Steve Harvey. And the Harvey. suits are timeless, so. Yeah, it could have been him. from any time. Gotta love Steve Harvey. Just gotta love Steve Harvey. Mother fucking Steve Harvey. Harvey. Um, so, um, back to our love story. Okay. Um, I got distracted. <laughs> he's very distracting. So, in 1958, Denny Venar and Karen Lemon were um, just – 13 and 15 years old when they fell in love. Dang. So young. They lived in a small west central uh, town in Minnesota. Okay. It's very small. There was only, uh, the population was only 595 people. Very wow. small. So they went to school together and Karen said that they only lived, uh, that she only lived two blocks away from the school. So he would walk her home after school every single day. And then, and then Danny said that after football games or basketball games, she would always be there waiting for her, for him. So they would just like, wait, they're puppy love, puppy love. And it seemed like they were going to be together forever. And then unfortunately, when Karen was just 15 years old, she found out that she was pregnant. (gasps) Yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal now when you're 15, you know, but it was yeah. an even bigger deal in the 50s, you yeah. know. So her family, of course, freaked out and they took her to a home for unwed mothers mm. where she lived there while she carried the baby, had the baby, and then she had to give the baby up for adoption. Oh, so heartbreaking. It's I know. So heartbreaking. So Denny got to visit her there a couple of times. Well, I should um, say it's heartbreaking because it wasn't her choice. Like I don't. I know. Think that anybody who ha- who puts a child up for adoption with that they want to, you know, that that's the best thing for them and the best thing yeah. for child. Obviously, obviously, but I just, yeah. it just is heartbreaking that it's that she had no choice in it. She was so young. Oof. Yeah, I know. And so he. Went and visited her there a couple of times, and he also came by when the baby was born. After she had gave birth to the baby, it was a baby girl, she called him and asked him if he wanted to come see her, and he yeah. did. So they he went up there, and um, they held their daughter for about an hour before they had to give her up for adoption. Oh. Um, and Karen said, we had taken a photograph of her, and that was the last of our memories of her. Oh. Um, so it's just... 
so heartbreaking. And then Denny ended up joining the military. And when he came back home, he asked Karen to marry him. And she said yes, because she was very much in love with him. But her family again, were just not supportive. They said they wanted her to get an education. I mean, she was young. I get, I get her, why her family felt that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So they wanted her to get an education instead. So torn between her family and the love of her life being so young, she decided to follow her family's wishes and she chose to not marry Denny. And when they broke up, he joined the military and she went off to college. And for 53 years, they led completely different lives in different parts of the country. Yeah. They married, they had children, their marriages ended. They didn't say why they ended, like in the stories or articles. But Denny said, I never stopped thinking about her. Yeah. Um, He said that she had, I say, a corner of my heart. She was always there. So he never forgot about her. And in fact, like one day when Denny was working for a senator on his reelection campaign, mm-hmm. um, he found out that Karen was living on this specific street in St. Paul, Minnesota. So he went and grabbed a bunch of pamphlets and went on no- and went knocking on every door of the street, handing out pamphlets, hoping that she would be behind one of the doors. Oh, my gosh. But he never found her. And then cut to October 25th of 2014, when a friend of Denny's asked him to join LinkedIn. Uh Um, And so he set up a profile on LinkedIn. And once he was set up, so he saw the search bar where you can search for people. And, you know, just out of curiosity, he typed in the name Karen Lehman. Yeah. And that's where he saw her. He saw her right there. She was working and living in Everett, Washington. So he knew where she was working. So he called her place of work and left her a message. Wow. And, um, yeah. And so Karen said, I called him back immediately and said, how did you find me? Yeah. And the two, they ended up just talking nonstop. It was like the internet. Yeah. LinkedIn. <laughs> the most romantic place. <laughs> and so um, they ended up talking nonstop and it, it just seemed like no time had ever passed yeah. for 53 years. And then Denny ended up flying out to Washington to see Karen. And he said that when he got there, it was just magic. He said she ran, she got out of the car and ran around and she jumped on me. She threw her legs around him, like that kind of big hug. (laughs) All right. And and said, babe, you're home. And so it's, uh, Karen said it did feel like nothing had changed, including his dimples when he smiled and his sparkling eyes. And so she ended up taking him back to her house. She cooked him dinner. And then um, the two stayed up all night long as what she calls uh, rekindling the romance. Uh That's how they stayed up all night. (laughs) And then that very night, they decided that they were going to get married 24 hours later. Wow. See, they happen so much where people are just like, they're older. They they loved each other when they were younger. They never thought about it. They never forgot about each other. And then- they immediately decide to get married because when you know, you know. And I you, know. And when you're at some point, you're like, I don't have time to lose. And this decision, I'm going to make it. Let's do it now. Let's Right not. now. Yeah. Yeah. So they ended up – so they got married and then they decided to live together and settle down in Twin Cities, Minnesota. So I guess Karen went back to Minnesota uh-huh. and they you know, were ha- just like so happily married and in love – 
but one thing was missing. Yeah. Um, and Denny said he brought up to Karen um, several times, you know, that he wanted to find their daughter. And but Karen was reluctant at first because she said, you know, she's 53 years old now, you know, like let her she has her whole life, like, let's not disrupt it. Right. Um, but then Karen said that the one thing that he said to her that changed her mind was he said, Karen, it took me this long to find you my life would be complete if we could find our daughter. Oh, I know. Okay. So then, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so then Karen and Denny contacted the Lutheran Social Services to try and find their daughter. And they were able to find her. Her name was Jean Voxlin. The adoption agency sent Jean a letter and she, uh, I guess, dismissed it. I guess like didn't pay, just thought it was junk mail or whatever. Right. But then her husband read it. And she said that one day she came home from work and her husband was like, I think you better sit down. And she said in the whole 30 some years of our marriage, he had never once told me, I think you need to sit down. Yeah. (laughs) And that's when at 55 years old, Jean learned that her parents were together and they were looking for her. Oh, can you imagine no, I can't. And the fact that her parents had just found, found each, each other, other and got married. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah, it's wild. And so once she knew that they were looking for her, um, they started exchanging letters and then they decided to meet. They met one day in May 2016. Jean said that Denny walked through the door and I looked at him. I was like, oh my gosh, because I've never, ever looked like anybody. And now I do. Wow. I know. They really do look alike. It's great. They have the same face. So since then, the Venars and the Voxlin, so Jean and her husband and and her children, they've formed their own family. They've gotten – and Jean's gotten to meet her half-siblings from – both of Denny and Karen's previous marriages. Uh And the couple has definitely developed a bond with her family as well. And so they're making up for lost birthdays, lost holidays, and lost times. As this article said, thanks to a love that just won't quit. Uh, and Denny said the love we have for each other is absolutely second to none even today it's so strong it's unbelievable and I will say that on the um the Steve Harvey show like every time he even just talks about Karen he gets choked up oh like it's just (laughs) it's so so now they live happily together in Northfield Minnesota and actually Denny wrote a book so if you want to hear more about the story in more detail it he wrote a book called how did you find me after all these years a family memoir Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and they also got to be on the Steve Harvey show. Steve Harvey. <laughs> so you can Google them and uh, watch that episode too. It's really great. So that's really beautiful. I, I love it so much. I'm thinking about they must be like the the daughter and the parents must be more like friends because they're pretty close in age actually, right? But yeah, I mean that she was 15. So She's seven, you know, the mom's 70, Karen's 70, and then the daughter is 55, which is, I mean, that's a far way away, but still. I mean, they look so young. Yeah. The couple looks so young. Like, I was, when I first looked at this, the pictures of the story, I thought that Karen was the daughter that they found. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, she's well, yeah. If she, if she can, <laughs> if she can run up and 
jump and wrap her legs around somebody. It's she's almost bright. 70. <laughs> she's doing great. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would be scared to do that. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I might hurt my knees. <laughs> I know. I can't do that. Um, yeah. oh, I love that story. That's beautiful. Thanks, man. Good one. Are you ready to do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. Okay. I'll go first. So you and I were actually talking about this a little bit before we recorded, but I think that I have hit a wall with the pandemic. Another one. A different wall. <laughs> like I've been hitting lots of walls, but this was uh this was I just really missed doing stand up. I yeah. I have been, you know, I had at first I was like really enjoying the break cuz you know I've been doing stand up for a long time and I had never taken more than like a week off of from doing it. Like I'd never not done a show in a week and that was in 10 years. Like I've been so I was like I yeah. was happy for the break just be home at night and not you know just I know. not have it really this, like, felt like a vacation in the beginning and a guilt-free vacation because yes. you're like I can't do shows. Right. I can't do shows yeah. and it's not that people aren't asking me it's that there are no shows. Like yeah. it just yeah, like all I it was like a break from the hustle of stand up, from the like heartbreak of it, from all of the things that come along with it. And so I was really enjoying it. And I think I had like fooled myself that I was fine with not doing it. Mm-hmm. But it just something broke this week where I was like, what my life, my life just got swept up away from me. <laughs> like I just I know. Been, you know, we haven't been able to do the thing that we've dedicated everything to and sacrificed so much for. And you know, there are people who are doing shows and no judgment on that. Just the seeing that is really hard when I'm not ready or able to go yeah. out and do anything at the moment. So anyway, so that was dumb. And I'm sure there – I know there are so many people who have had the same kind of situation where everything oh, yeah. you work so hard for has been – so like on top of all of the stress and, and sadness of this – fucking year you know Mm -hmm. it just is also this thing that was like my identity is gone so I I was realizing that I have maybe have not dealt with that (laughs) um and so I'm just gonna shove it back down and then not think about it until later but back up in a few weeks don't worry (laughs) (laughs) then when I start crying for no reason we'll know where that came from yeah um the thing that I love is a TV show. Which one? Okay, so we, when we went to the mountain house, Ben and I were just, we're like, we're always looking for something that we can like put on while Max is around, you know, like nothing that's violent or whatever. And and so we found this show. We have BritBox, which is like a all British channel. Uh-huh. Um, and it's we found this show called QI, which is like a quiz show, which is very British. Like there's nothing it could never be go be on in the US. Like it's very wholesome. It's like something that would be on maybe PBS or NPR. But it's the woman Sandra, I can't remember her last name, but she was the host of the Bake Off of the Great British Baking Show. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? She's the shorter one with Yeah. Yeah. So she's the host of it and then they have like comedians on and then they do like all these different like quizzes and facts and you learn things and it's just very soothing and interesting. Oh, <laughs> and cool. so yeah, so it, for something for it was like a total break from anything else and when we first started watching I was like, Ugh, I don't know. And then we 
just can't keep watching it. <laughs> we can't stop watching it. So oh. I, I recommend that for like just a total break. It's called QI and it's been on for like 19 seasons. Wow. Okay. That's good yeah. to know. I love quiz shows and so does my son, obviously, because he thinks he's smarter than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but he actually is smarter than everybody. I know. I was going to say, I don't think it's that he just thinks he is. That <laughs> <laughs> he actually is. And it's funny and it's, uh, yeah, irreverent and I, I really like it. I would say, I don't know if, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like Sully could watch it, although there is some language because oh, they're okay. British. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. They say shite. Mm-hmm. You won't even know what that means because he, <laughs> he's American. <laughs> Rubbish. Rubbish. Uh, Coont. <laughs> you won't even know what a coont is. <laughs> it's all good. We'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, so for my something dumb and something I love, I guess something dumb that happened this week, if you guys, I'm sure you guys all know about it, where with freezing temperatures, there's nearly half a million Texans out power yes. um, during uh, after a record-breaking winter storm that hit um, Texas this week. And so there's- Did you know, sorry, I know you're going to talk about really sad things, but also did you know that that is, it's one of the first storms that has, that actually stretched the entire country. So my brother in Seattle got huge snowstorm, but so did our, my brother-in-law in Maryland. Like, so coast wow. to coast, there was a snowstorm and we didn't get it, but, yeah. <laughs> but still, but isn't that crazy? Well, yeah. And it was cold as hell in Gulf Shores, Alabama. I'll tell yeah. you that. The cold, (laughs) but so there are millions without access to heat and electricity, and also um, carbon monoxide poisoning is at an all time high because people are trying to warm themselves with generators and gas heating devices. Uh, It's just heartbreaking, and um, it seems that Ted Cruz isn't really doing much to help because he's a fuck face. Oh, well, he um, went to Cancun to keep did. his family warm. So He did. He <laughs> did go to Cancun. So there are ways that you can help if you are inclined. Um, some of the mutual aid organizations are Austin Mutual Aid, Feed the People Dallas, Para Mi Gente, and also Rice Mutual Aid. There's also local groups, the Austin Area Urban League, Crowdsource Rescue, Austin Disaster Relief, and Texas Jail Project, and Free Lunch. These are all, this article that I'm reading from is by Madeline Carlisle, by the way, for Time Magazine. So I just wanted to make sure that you knew that she was the one that put all this information together and you should be given the credit. (laughs) Thank you, Madeline. Thank you, Madeline. If you have the resources, I know everybody... But things are tough right now for a lot of people. But if you have the resources and you want to help, um, please do. Yes. And thank you for, for highlighting that. Sure. So something I love is obviously all these people that are stepping up to help the citizens of Texas because it looks like the government isn't doing much. I do love that that the people are helping. Yeah. And helping one another. And then for if we're going to talk about just like dumb things I love. So... Have I talked about how we, me and my pal Dustin, Dustin Harder, have gotten into um, uh, celebrity memoirs and we like read them t- 
like it's like our like own a little book, book club. club. Oh, I yeah. love that. It's so fun. <laughs> That's so fun. Um, but there's actually a really great podcast called Celebrity Book Club by uh, comedian Chelsea Devantes, which is also really good. So it's fun if you want to get in on that and join her book club. You can read all of the celebrity memoirs uh, along with her, and then she'll discuss it on the podcast. It's great. But there's another podcast called Even the Rich, where they do these like really juicy. Um, in detail, four-part, five-part biography-type um, episodes on people like um, there's the Paris Hilton is happening right now. They did Britney Spears. I think they're about to do the Kardashians. They did um, the Hearst family. Uh-huh. You know, it's just real. Um, they did the Royals. Um, yeah, it's like it's it's real good. Okay, and, and that's hosted by two comedians. Um, I can't remember their names. But it's really good. (laughs) Um, So that's something I love. Also, something that I have found um, enjoyment in over the last week is my son was looking for something to play. He wanted me to play something with him on the Nintendo Switch. And I don't understand any games. And I was like, whatever happened to like Wheel of Fortune? Like that's a game I used to like to play on the Nintendo. And then I looked it up and we were able to download Wheel of Fortune on his switch and we've been playing it like as a family oh that's so fun team mom and sully team dad and louise and we play wheel of fortune and i forgot how like how much i love that game and how good i am at it (laughs) you and ben both he's so good so good at ben and i always like the same things we both love puzzles (laughs) yeah like wheel of fortune He's so chill and relaxed. You're so chill and relaxed. (laughs) He's so easygoing and never wound up. And I'm so... (laughs) Basically puzzles and Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. (laughs) And we both love you, Sally. Oh, stop. So that's that, man. I love that. That's a fun idea. We've been playing lots of games here too, and I would love a new game. Well, let's wrap this up. We did it. We did an episode. I think it was I think it was a great one. I'm gonna say I'm gonna put it up there with one of the greats. Um, which I don't I for no reason, just because uh I enjoyed talking to you today, Jen. Same, Sally. You guys get in touch with us. You can find us on all the socials at Dumb Love Podcast. Uh you can email us your love stories or just, you know, if you want to say hey. We would love a hey, hey. Uh, You can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. That goes for you, Steve Harvey, too. And uh, (laughs) and if you know Steve Harvey, send him our way. Please rate and review and subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. And most importantly, get out there safely and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum-dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-